This evening we're studying another area of important Christian responsibility. Everything having to do with 1 Corinthians has to do with Christian responsibility. One of the pop quiz questions I asked you were, what were, can you name three areas of concern that were addressed by the Apostle Paul? And of course, we, in the previous chapter we saw that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of the believer's body, he, saw, he talked about spiritual gifts, he dealt with Christian liberty, he dealt with morality, he dealt with marriage, divorce and remarriage, separation, he dealt with single Singlehood. Uh, he's dealt with divisions and uh, in the church. He's dealt with the matters of faith. He's dealt with matters of the Holy Spirit. He's dealt with matters concerning the preaching, the preaching of the gospel. He's dealt with matters of wisdom. I mean, he's dealt with a lot of, lot of different things in 1 Corinthians. And more or less, you might just say, 1 Corinthians was written to provide correction where things had strayed off. You know, we preach the Word of God, and we repeat preaching, uh, study, the study of books and different, and different doctrines of Scripture, because if we don't, there's a tendency that people will stray off. Now, I'm going to talk about some things that are kind of inherent right now in Christianity that you should be aware of that's affecting the faith of people. And it's it's affecting many ways. For instance, you're going to hear a term I'll mention on Sunday that maybe you may be familiar with, entitled "woke Christianity." Woke Christianity. Woke Christianity. W O K E. And it's it's a false doctrine that's going on right now, and it's 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 affecting a lot a lot of things going on. And a lot of the millennials are jumping on the bandwagon with this woke Christianity there. And it's it's a very very it's just it's a twisting of things, and it has nothing to do it has nothing to do with the gospel. It has nothing to do with doctrine. Everything about it has to do with social justice issues and a number of other things like that. And and we're finding that uh, Christian leaders are getting on board with that. And we're finding that even in the, 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 uh, a lot of the mega churches that they're getting on board with these kind of things. And they're, they're following the newest hype that's out there. And so it's important you know what you believe. And we're going to see that a little bit on, on Sunday night there. Now, notice here in, in, in our passage, Paul is repeating something that he mentioned earlier in the study of 1 Corinthians. And what he's mentioning here alludes to the matter of stewardship, because he mentions stewardship in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He talks about stewards being faithful. Now, when we talk about stewardship, you want to think about for a minute, what do we mean by stewardship? What does the Bible mean by stewardship? What is the exact meaning? Now, biblically speaking, stewardship refers to the responsibility a person has with the assets and resources entrusted to him. Stewardship has to do with the entrustment of assets and resources entrusted to them. But in most Christian circles, they deal with stewardship from the context of the management of those assets. But if you study the parable of the talents and you, and you look at that very carefully, you realize it's not just the management of those assets and resources. It's also the growth of those assets and resources. God considers good stewardship, not just the management, but also the growth of it. Now, a steward, basically speaking, is a manager of another person's affairs, another person's assets and resources. A good example of that is going over to Genesis chapter 39 and seeing Joseph there in the house of Potiphar. That gives us a very good example of a steward there. The word also speaks of entrustment with the education and well-being of children. You find that in the definition there of governors and tutors. It talks about the entrustment of someone else's children there. As a good thought for us is we, is we put our children in school in different capacities. There's a stewardship factor there. You know, have we done our due diligence in making sure that we are entrusting the minds and the souls of our children? By the way, when you commit your children to a school setting, regardless of where it is, it could be a public school, private school, charter school, it could be homeschooling. 
It could be it, it could be uh, Christian schooling. The thing you have to remember is just not the mind of the child that's being affected. It's the mind and the soul of the child that's affected. What goes in affects what happens in that heart there. And so they come back all goofy. It's because of what they heard and a process in their mind there. So we have to bear in mind, you never can affect the mind without affecting the soul of the individual there. We have to remember that. So we look at this here and the word stewardship or the concept of stewardship is very important in the Bible. In the Bible itself, it, the word stewardship is found 18 times. In the New Testament, it's found 12 times. Now, there's some things we have to understand about stewards as we get in our study tonight. Stewards, according to 1 Corinthians 4.1, stewards must be found faithful. And that's, just a, that, that's just a very convicting thought for all of us. Stewards must be found faithful. We must be faithful with what God has given to us. Faith stewards are expected to give their master or owner a good rate of return on what they've done. You read that in the parables that Jesus gave us there. They're to give a good rate of return on what has been entrusted to them. They're to exceed expectations if they can. Uh, pastors are commanded to be blameless, according to Titus, they're to be blameless as the stewards of God, as we are looking in the future of men who will be ordained and men that might get sent out to be pastors of churches one day. We have to understand that they are to be stewards of the, of the grace of God. They're, be, they're stewards of God over the, God's local church. And then every believer, when we consider spiritual gifts, every believer is a steward of the manifold grace of God when it comes to the ministering of spiritual gifts. And you find that in 1 Peter chapter 4. Now, when you go back and read over 1 Corinthians 12, 13 to 14 about spiritual gifts. I'd encourage you to correlate that with Romans 12, because Romans 12 talks about spiritual gifts, but it now talks about the execution of those spiritual gifts. And then go over to 1 Peter chapter 4. In 1 Peter chapter 4, he makes mention of the fact of how we need to be, we need to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. I think we need to understand something that the spiritual gifts given to us are a very, very big entrustment by God. Those spiritual gifts are not to be wasted. They're not to be sitting by idly. They're not to be something that we waste. They're not to be something to be misused. They're to be re- re- to realize that those are gifts given to every believer at the, pl- at the point of salvation to be used in the local church for the edification and the building of the church. Now, even though my message tonight has nothing to do with spiritual gifts, a thought for us to think about tonight is, what are you doing with your spiritual gift? How is your spiritual gift Building up the body of Christ. How's it being a blessing? Do you even know what your spiritual gift is? I mean, that was a question I, was, I considered putting on the pop quiz, but we need to think about that. So tonight, Paul is transitioning from a very lengthy, very needy subject of the resurrection. He closed that section off of 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, because he's encouraging them with what he said, but he's also using that as a, as a step up into the next dot topic. Therefore, my beloved brethren, he says, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, when he wrote this original book, there were no chapter breaks. That was placed in there by the translators. We get to chapter 16, where our break is. He's continued the same line of thought, but he goes like this. Now, I've talked to you about always abounding. I've talked to you about your labor not being in vain. I've spoken to you about being steadfast and movable. He says, now. Now, he's transitioning to another point of interest or concern about the church. And it has to do with the collection, the gatherings, and the offering of the church body. 
Now, sometimes people think, well, you know, you get up and talk about money and things and they get a, they get a, there's a wall that goes up and there's a little bit of resistance. But frankly, you can't go through the Bible without reading about money. Money's important. Money's a critical aspect here. So we're going to look at this matter concerning the God's financial plan in the local church, about money in the local church. Three things I want us to see very quickly tonight. Number one, notice in verses one and two, the sacred priorities. Now, in your outline, it'll say priority, but really, it's, there's three priorities here. Now, I want you to think with me for a minute, just the wording of that. The word sacred means something that is holy, set apart. Sanctified, hollowed, special. Uh, wherever we see the word sacred, like when we talk about sacred music or, uh, or, or, or worship, we're talking about something that is glorifying to God. Secondly, we look at the word priority. Now, priority in itself means of highest order. Uh, that, that which we give the highest attention to. You know, the, uh, the deacons and I were on a monthly meeting on Zoom and went a little bit longer. And it was, some of them had to drive a distance there. And, and it was about 626, 25 when we had closing prayer and signed off. And, you know, I just had a concern for them. I just said, well, guys, if you can't make it, I understand tonight. Just, you know, just go ahead and watch my live stream. That's fine. I understand if you can't make it. But I thank God all of our deacons are here today. Praise God for that, you know. I mean, they had to rush getting out here and get their families in the cars and getting here and rushing to get here. And, but that, you know why they did that? It's a priority. It's a priority. They didn't do it because pastor wanted them there. They did it because of priority. They love God. Amen? It's a priority there, okay? And so the priority is something we give the highest order to. It's something we give our highest attention to. If you're watching tonight, you're in service tonight, it's a priority because you believe that the Word of God should be received in your heart. Amen? And you want God to preach to you and speak to you there. So it's a priority. So we see some sacred priorities tonight. Notice it's the priority of the meeting. Look at verse 2. Upon the first day of the week, he's talking about a meeting. He's talking about the assembly of God's people. Now, when you read verses 1 and 2, there's a lot of doctrine here. This is about the doctrine of the local New Testament church. I love the church. Amen? You ought to love the church. And he's talking about here the New Testament emphasis on the church and, 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 and church assembly. Now, the first day of the week is Sunday. The Jews practiced the worship of God before Jesus rose from the dead. They practiced the worship of God on the Sabbath day, which was the seventh day, which would be Saturday. The first day of the week would be Sunday. Now, we notice in Revelation 1.10, Paul, uh, the Apostle John makes mention of the Lord's Day. The first day of the week is called the Lord's Day. I like the term the Lord's Day because Sunday is the Lord's Day. I think we need to get straight in our mind. It's not the 49ers Day. and It's not the Raiders Day. It's the Lord's Day. Amen? It's not Super Bowl Sunday. It's God's Day. It's the Lord's Day. Now, granted, you might carve out an hour here or there to watch the game. That's okay. That's fine with that. But we have to remind ourselves, with everything going on, Sunday being the most important day of the week as far as the believer is concerned, it is. It's the Lord's Day. Now, notice Matthew 28. He says, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Mark 16. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came into the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. Luke 24. It says in verse 1, now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came into the sepulcher, being the, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. John 20, verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Now, what's it all talking about there? It's talking about the resurrection Sunday. Those believers came early in the morning. They came to the sepulcher. The stone was rolled away. Jesus had risen from the dead. 
glorious day, wonderful day. We celebrate the Lord's day because in, in commemoration, that was the day that Jesus rose again from the dead. Every Sunday is a resurrection Sunday. Amen. Every Sunday is a time we remind ourselves that Christ rose from the dead. When Jesus rose from the dead, a sacred priority was established regarding the meeting of the believers. They were setting in motion there that believers are to assemble for worship, for edification, for equipping, for evangelization, for encouragement on the first day of every week. Now, the first day of every week should start the week off right. And the first day of every week ought to be a concentrated day where God's people come together, where we're excited about getting under the, the, the rooftop of the church and assembling physically and visibly here. Because remember, a local church is a visible local assembly, not an invisible assembly, amen? Not a universal assembly. Most commentators are written by Protestants who believe in a universal a universal church. And I read one today. Today, who had a Baptist background, just kind of checking what he believed, and he, he believes in both a universal and a local church. I don't believe that there's only the local church. I believe that there's only one kind of church the Bible speaks of. That's the local church. Because if you study your Bible, 117 times the word church is used. 113 of those times is the word the word uh, ecclesia for a local New Testament church. A local New Testament church means it's an it's an invisible assembly at a specific location. Heritage Baptist Church is a local visible assembly of believers, and that's why it was very hard for us during those early days of COVID-19 preaching to an empty auditorium. We know the congregation's out there. But there was no congregation in here, amen? And so, aside from the AV crew and whoever else was here with me there, you know? So, I'm just saying tonight, we have to understand, biblically speaking, that when we assemble together, it's a wonderful time. We're singing, we're rejoicing, Scripture's being read, Scripture's being preached, and, you know, we're just, God is, God is being glorified, and we're honoring God with our offerings and all these kind of things there. But it's a day where there's edification and equipping. Now, that does not mean, that does not mean, when we talk about the first day of the week, that does not mean... Believers should not assemble any other time of the week. It does not mean they shouldn't, they shouldn't assemble more often. If Hebrews 10.25 answers that question, he says so much to more as you see the day approaching. But what it is telling us is that the highest priority for worship of God is on Sundays. That's the highest priority. And notice, notice here, I didn't say Sunday morning, I just said Sunday. The highest priority for the worship of God is on Sundays there. So we get ourselves ready, we get ourselves spiritually prepared and mentally prepared for it. Now, assembly according to Scripture was meant to be, notice this, physically in person. Physically in person. Virtual attendance, when you are physically able to, does not meet the biblical command. You're able to come... You're supposed to be in church because the Bible says not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. The word assembly very clearly means a physical local assembly. Now, look, guys, especially watching my stream, if you couldn't make it tonight, that's understandable. But be here on Sunday. Be in church on Sunday and pre-register on Sundays here to make sure that your health is right because we're doing out of respect to everyone else here. But you ought to be physically here for that, okay? There's no excuse for that. You say, well, I've got this, I've got that. Well, you know what? It's like I was sharing with some of the men tonight. You know, thank God we've got, we've got some people who, are, who have health risks, but they, when the moment they heard church was open, they said, I can't wait to get back to church. Now, we're trying to do everything we can to help promote a healthy environment and a safe environment for people to come. And uh, as long as people don't, you know, you know t t deceive us and tell us they come sick uh, and things like that. I mean, we're trying to promote an environment that's right. And, you know, we sanitize things and wipe things down and spray down everything so it's clean. So I'm just saying tonight that, that assembly, according to Scripture, is to be physically in person. Now, notice this here. Go with me in your Bibles. Turn to John chapter 20, verses 19 to 22. John chapter 20. 
Now, Jesus set the precedent in that passage of Scripture I just gave you, John chapter 20. He set the precedent for Sunday worship. And let me just even go further than that for Sunday evening worship. Sunday evening worship. The Bible says in verse 19, then the same day at evening, what day? The day he rose from the dead, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled. They were physically there. Now, they were there for the wrong reason. They were there for the fear of the Jews, but Jesus said, that doesn't bother me. We're going to have church. Amen. He came in there. Now, notice what happens there. The disciples were physically assembled together. Jesus was in their midst. How many believe the promise Christ gave us in Matthew 18, where two or more are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. That's where he's at, amen? That's where he's at, okay? Jesus is in the midst with us, okay? That, that should change the whole perspective about, uh, you know, church assembly. Jesus was in their midst. Hey, there was preaching. Who did the preaching? Pastor Jesus, amen? Jesus preached to them. I mean, that's who preached them. He came in, and notice what he did there. He came to them, and the first thing he said, peace be unto you. That's a blessing, Amen. Peace be unto you. As the Father sent me, even so I send unto you. And he started, he started preaching. There was encouragement. There was emphasis on sending and missions. There was the emphasis on the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, when we get there, we get to here, there was a physical assembly of God's people. Okay? There's a sacred priority in the meeting. Now go with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Now Paul is making his journey... And he stops off at Troas. Now we know that a church got started there, and I think Paul had something to do with it. Probably back at uh, Acts chapter 16. And the church is mature. And he stopped off to see his friends. And the Bible says upon the first day of the week, Acts chapter 20 verse 7, when the disciples came together. It was a physical assembly. Now, Look at this assembly. They were Baptists. You see how they were Baptists? They had a meal. Amen? They broke bread. They had a meal. They had Sunday night service. They were Baptists. There was preaching. And by the way, it was long preaching. Amen? He established that all that. Now, I want you to consider these two locations where, where there was assembly. Location number one was in Jerusalem on the day, the evening Christ rose from the dead. There was an assembly. Sadly, there was one that was missing. He wasn't there. On the very first one. Go to the second location, years later. At the second location, it's at Troas. Lights are on, they're in the upper loft. Paul's preaching. And a young man fell asleep and fell out of church. That tells us a story about church. When there's assembly... Someone's going to be missing. When there's assembly, someone falls asleep and eventually falls out of church. That shouldn't happen, but it's a reminder to us those things happen. Now, what am I trying to say tonight? I'm trying to say this evening, number one, that there's a sacred priority for the meeting. Number two, look at verse two again of 1 Corinthians 16. There's a sacred priority of the membership. Look at verse two very carefully. Upon the first day of the week, notice the next phrase, let every one of you. That's the membership of the church. Every one of you met the members. Now, and that day, you got saved. 
You got baptized, you became a member. In our modern day churches, we try to get them baptized early, but we want to make sure they're safe first. And on top of that, sometimes it may be better to vet them out because, you know, there, there's this tendency in North America, at least, they get baptized, they disappear. I don't know why, but they disappear. And so, you know, we, we're trying to exercise a little bit more prudence and caution about that. Now, a member of a church is saved and they're baptized. Now, being saved alone does not make you a member of the church. You have to be baptized. How do we know that? Well, Acts chapter 2, look at verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added to the, unto them about 3,000 souls. Now, on that day, those were Jews that got saved, and that was a remarkable thing. 3,000 Jews got saved. And, you know, for them to step out and get, to get uh, baptized there, to be immersed, they were ma- ma- making an incredible stand against their former belief system and the Judaism and all that. They basically took a step out and told their family members they identified with the Lord Jesus Christ and His death, burial, resurrection. I want you to think with me for a minute. That's equivalent to somebody stepping out in a restricted access nation who may be of a different belief system and stepping out and saying, identify with Jesus Christ. I mean, you run the risk of being, of being ostracized by your family members and, and by your community there. But these believers did that 3,000 that day and not long after that 5,000 more did so So we see church membership here was happening Now what is that telling us tonight? Church membership, I say this all, all the time Church membership is the will of God for your life after you get saved After you get saved, the first thing you want to do is be a member of a local New Testament church Now we cover this a little bit in 1 Corinthians 5 But it's important to be, in a new t- to be a member of a church So that you have the umbrella protection of the local New Testament church over your soul You want to be involved with the church because that's God's will. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the building of God. It's the bride of Jesus Christ. And we read the rest of Acts chapter 2, and it tells us what they did in the church. That's your community. That's your church family. That's your support. That's where people pray for you. Let me tell you about all the things that the church membership solves. People today ask the question, well, you know, if I get discouraged and I get anxious and I have all these things, should I go see a psychiatrist? No, my answer for you is get saved and become a member of local New Testament church. Because, you know, the best thing to happen for you is to get a community of God's wonderful, loving people surrounding you who will pray for you, they'll hold up your hands, they'll encourage you. You say, well, is that therapeutic? Will that help me? Yeah, why don't you ask the Chant family? In the last... Uh, the last three, four years, uh, Jamin has been going through just uh, just a, a tremendous trial of things. And uh, the family that is here, Edna and Joel and Rachel and Tiffany, I mean, they have found incredible support and love from the family here at Heritage Baptist Church. And many of you, I want to thank you for reaching out to them many, many times that you have and showing your special love. Please don't stop it. They still need our love. But I can tell you about members in our church who experienced the loss of a loved one where they have found support and love and encouragement during, at, at that moment and afterwards and still when they come to church and there's just something to be said when you come to church of knowing that you can find you can find uh help and assistance and you know and and i'll just tell you this tonight i can't think of anything that any of us need more when we're going through a trial when there's a when sorrow is in our life we're going through difficulty than to come to church and to know that god's people are praying for you to know that you're on a prayer page and some widow woman at two o'clock in the morning has got that on the floor and is bent over and praying over your name there's something about that that touches my life. Amen? I mean, it's encouraging to know that. So, you know, when you talk about that benefit, there's the benefit of just 
socialize with people. Everybody, every, all medical sites will tell you that some of the best things for you for your longevity, your health, is to be around people. Listen, it's good to be around church, to be around people, to be edified in the Word of God. It's good for you to be in church because you get challenged through the preaching of the Word of God. It stimulates your mind, but it stimulates your soul. It's good for you to be in church because instead of you being a couch potato, you get involved for Jesus Christ. You start serving the Lord and doing something for the Lord. Instead of you falling to this place where you become selfish and self-centered and uh, worrying about yourself, you go out and you get involved in church and you take the gospel to people and you start realizing there are people that are in very difficult situations who need to know about Jesus Christ. I mean, the list can go on and on and on and on. I mean, there's multiple reasons, manifold reasons why a person should be a member and involved with the local New Testament church. Membership is a sacred priority. Membership is how we impact the area and the world with the gospel of Jesus, Jesus Christ. Now listen to this now. Membership is not separate associations or cliques in the church that try to function as a church within a church. That is not church membership. That is not church membership. In Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47, we see a healthy, holy church membership. It tells us a healthy body that's functioning there. And I'm just saying tonight, we see the sacred parties. He said, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you. Now, that's, that's telling us something here. Every member of the church, when God's word is preached, when there's a command, when there's responsibility, it says right there, Paul said, let every one of you. Now, if we're not following that, we're disobedient church members. We're sinning against God. Because he said, let every one of you, is what he said there. Now, there's another thing we see here tonight. There's a sacred priority of the meeting. Everyone needs to be in church. It's a physical assembly. There's a sacred priority of the membership. When you get saved, you need to be a member of the local New Testament church. But there's also the sacred priority. Notice why he wrote this, verses 1 and 2. There's also the sacred priority of the money. Look what he says here. Upon the first day of the week... Let every one of you lay by him in store. What's he talking about there? Money. Money that belongs to God. Money that should be given to the Lord. He's talking about a discipline of preparing yourself to coming to church to the worship of God. Let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Now go back to verse 1. Paul transitions from 1 Corinthians 15, 58. He says, now, this is on his checklist of all, all, the, all the issues he's got to deal with at Corinth. And he saved the monetary one for last, probably because it was the most sensitive one. Now concerning the collection. Now I believe in the old-fashioned way that you still should have offering bags, offering plates to go back. That's a collection. I'm thankful for online giving, and I'm thankful for how our church has embraced online giving and participated, and, and more people getting involved with it. I'm thankful for people that mail in their gifts, and I'm thankful for those who are who live a distance away. Their their get their their tithes, their offerings come in timely every every month. I mean, right on the same day. 
And thank for those who take advantage of the offering box that we had to put in the back here because of COVID there. But I'm just saying tonight, he's talking about the collection for the saints. Now let's talk about collections and offerings. I told you earlier that the word for collections and the word for gatherings is all the same. Paul got word that the church at Corinth had become haphazard, um, inconsistent in the collections and their gatherings. They were not collecting the monies as they should have. Now, there's several purposes for collections. The first, and you can find this in Nehemiah chapter 13 as one example there, which would be good for us to study. But first, the collections and offerings in the church, when we take up our general offering, is for the care and provision of God's servants. Now, Nehemiah chapter 13, just to save time, Nehemiah got everything restored in a previous chapter. He went away. Then he got word that there were bad practices happening. He comes back there and finds out that the storehouse where they were supposed to be collecting things for the, to take care of God's, God's servants was, had been converted into a room for, for a rascal inside there. He kicked the rascal out, and he got that restored. And he went to the Jews, and he says, and he found out that the Levites had not been cared for, and the Levites had to go get a sector job to take care of themselves so they could do the work of God. And this is, this is, this is the statement, this is the statement, this is the question that Nehemiah very scathingly asked those, those leaders at that time. Why are you forsaking the house of the Lord? That's a pretty strong question he asked there. Why are you forsaking the house of the Lord there? And he went in there, and he got things fixed up, so that the, that the, that the, the Jews would get back to the place where they needed to be, of take what, what God had established through Moses, that the servants of God should be taken care of. So number one, we take collections and offer the care and provision of God's servants. But number two, our collections go for the spread and advance of the gospel. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I sometimes think back in those primitive days of the church, they had less and they got more done. They, they had less and got more done. I, I want you to think with me for a minute. When you study the book of Acts, I, and I love preaching, teaching through Acts. I get something new every time I go through it. They did not have physical facilities that they owned and met in. They met in the court until the Jews had pressure from the Jews and they had to get out of there. They had to scatter about the city and they met in homes. Everything was tight. I want to tell you that right now. Everything was tight. They still recognized the pastoral leadership. They still recognized that, you know, that they were, they were, they were separate assemblies, but they were still under the same authority. But they didn't have a building they owned. And I'm not even sure as we study this, I'm not even sure there's records that can even tell us exactly at what point in time in church history did they really start having buildings that they owned. Because they met outside. They did whatever they did. Weather didn't affect them. Circumstances didn't affect them. I think of, I think of some of our, 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 our Baptist forefathers and, you know, I think of the Waldensians and, and where they met in the woods and forests and they met in meadows and places. I mean, just it didn't matter what the weather was. I mean, they did what they had, they had to do. They met in the catacombs. They met in caves. But they got people saved. You brought your own chair. Amen. You sit on a stump. You sit on the floor. Now, we're 2,000 years later. 
The chairs you sit on are necessity for people's comfort, but it's also for the preaching of the gospel. Our, our whole AV, the complexity of our AV system. You know, who would have thought we'd be into this kind of technology 20 years ago? But it's for the preaching of the gospel. Uh, recently, recently we did a, a memorial service here. I asked the family, I said, uh, you know, would you like to live stream this to your family members in a foreign country? They said, Pastor, we could do that, would be a blessing. And 15-hour time difference, 16-hour time difference. And, uh, you know, was what time in the morning was it there? Was it 1 o'clock in the morning? 1 o'clock in the morning over there when we did the service here. We had 143 views on Facebook. We had another 20 on live stream itself. And they heard the gospel. I'll tell you where that went. We're trying to coordinate with that family next week. A Bible study time be morning, our time, evening, their time for me to coordinate to start a Bible study with them over there for the family members who need to hear it again and the possibility of getting a so many message and get them saved. Amen. You know, now, again, I'm saying they didn't have those tools in those days, but the collection and offerings are for the advancement of the gospel. Now, we have faith promise missions over and above that. For the advancement of the gospel. I'm just saying tonight, you know, without going into a lot of detail, the collection offering the spread and advancement of the gospel domestically and globally. There's a third reason. We have to take care of God's servants. It's for the spread and advancement of the gospel. But thirdly, this, listen, listen to this. We take up offerings for the ongoing cost of the ministry. Now, if you haven't figured it out, church this size, facilities we have, it's expensive. And we're not doing anything lavish. At least we're not trying not to. I mean, it's expensive to do these things. And when things get back up full speed, it's expensive. Gas is not cheap. Electricity is not cheap. Water is not cheap. Cleaning is not cheap. I mean, you name whatever it may be. You know, during the sanitization, we had to spend, we had to spend a, a, you know, a few thousand dollars to get equipment here so for people's safety, for COVID-19. And it's been a good investment. We thank God for that. But I'm telling you, when you look at the cost of ministry, it's not cheap from doing all those things there. And so we have to raise up these funds and collect these funds for the, for the ongoing cost of doing business. And by the way, you know, when you talk about vision, how does the vision get funded if there's no offerings? I mean, visions have to be funded. Visions are worthless if they can't get funded. I mean, the question you always ask, that's about visions. How are you going to pay for it? And we have to ask the question, do we have the money to pay for this? I mean, we've got to be able to, to fund that there. So we look at that. Those are those things. Now, look at specifically verse 1. And I'm going to get into what about the tithe and offering. But verse 1, he's dealing specifically with the collection of money for the saints. Now, in those days, they had almsgiving. But the almsgiving, because they were transitioning from the Jewish system of way they did things, into the New Testament, local New Testament church. And so they took up collections for the needy saints, for orphans, for widows, for the poor, for those many who got displaced because they lost their jobs, for slaves who were set free but they couldn't get another job, that, that was, and, and most of them were not very well paid. You know, they got their denarii day. They weren't very well paid. I mean, it was just to care for the needs of the church, which is why the church at Corinth, they had those agape love feasts, and then Paul had to deal with that issue in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But he said they have to care for the saints. And it wasn't just the saints there. It was also the saints in other locations, because in those days, churches took a special offerings and sent them out to be a blessing and help to other ministries there. We have a missionary who basically, uh, situation, I was just alluding to this earlier today, we have one of our missionaries who... Um, 
who was able to get their visa approved, and uh, they, they, they shot for from airfare because there's less number of airfare. In fact, a reduced number of air, airlines going to the country he had to go back to, that the, 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 the fly economy, he got a quote, that, a staggering quote for that, $18,000 to fly economy. Can you imagine that? $18,000 to fly economy. And he had to fly his wife as well there too. And they, they were preparing for that. They had saved money, but they came up short. And as soon as we got the letter, I contacted the missionary. Said, I said, preacher, I said, we'd like to come alongside. I told him how much we can come alongside. He said, that is a blessing. He said, every time we've had a need, your church has been there for us. He said, please tell the brethren, thank you very much. And I said, I'll do that. I'm t- telling you tonight. But I'm saying tonight, you know, we do things like that. We come alongside of those needs there. And we try to help those brethren out in those situations there. Um, we're studying one right now. They had a typhoon that went through the Philippines in an area called Bicol. Uh, there was severe damage in several, uh, one of our missionary churches out there, one of our missionaries, several of their missions works, which are thriving so many works. They had the roofs blown off, buildings blown down, things like that. So they, they didn't ask for an offering. They just said, well, pastor, would you pray with us that God will help us to raise it up? And I'm kind of just waiting to see what, what, kind, of, uh, what kind of response the people have, because I want them to have some skin in it as well there, too. I want to see what kind of response they have into caring for their own church and not relying on North America to take care of them. But uh, if we see some movement there, I might recommend that we might send some funds there. I'm just saying tonight, you know, back in those days... It was, it was, it was, it was, it was not even a, it was not even an afterthought. It was a forethought with them that we need to send money out and to help those believers there. So they did those kind of things. Now, I say all that now as we look at verses one and two, we see an Old Testament principle that carries over to the New Testament. We're talking about collections and gatherings. In the Old Testament, the practice of setting aside money for God was called the tithe. Abraham practiced it. Jacob practiced it. A tithe is very simple. It just means one-tenth. If I've got ten apples, one-tenth is one. Amen? I've got ten pennies, one-tenth is one. Now, that one-tenth, if you read Leviticus very carefully, that one-tenth is holy to the Lord. Say amen. That means it belongs to God. So when you get your paycheck and you look at the gross amount... 90% is yours, 10% is God's. That's how you have to look at it. 10% belongs to God. Now, they were told to bring their tithe into the storehouse, which was God's house. Be careful, some books you might pick up. I don't think there are out as many as today. Um, I, we, we practice what is called storehouse tithing. Uh, Dr. John R. Rice did not believe in storehouse tithe. He believed the tithe would go everywhere. I disagree with that. I believe the tithe go, goes in the storehouse. I believe it's, it, belongs to, it belongs to the local church. But, um, but that also included their first fruits. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with thy first fruits. You ought to study that a little bit there. First fruits of their harvest, of their herds, their flocks, and other increases that they brought in. And so the tithe was collected, and this is what Nehemiah was really upset about in Nehemiah 13. The tithe was collected to take care of God's servants and the house of God. In Malachi chapter 3, we'll look at it later on. Uh, God said those who were not tithing were stealing. And they're robbing from God. Now we take the tithe in the Old Testament. We transition now to the Old, New Testament. Jews are getting saved. It was a no-brainer to them, right? They put their tithe in the storehouse at the temple. But they're not practicing Judaism anymore. So do they drop their tithe off at the, at the, at the, at the Jewish temple and they go to church? No, they were going to church. And so the tithing principle, even though the word tithe is not mentioned in the New Testament, 
The practice of the tithe is still continuing on. In fact, there's a good reason why God did not put the word tithe inside the New Testament, because he wanted us to think beyond the tithe, and he gives us the word grace-giving. The word's grace-giving there in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Because grace-giving is prompted by a higher attitude, a motivation of giving beyond, beyond ourselves there. And the principle is giving beyond out of the abundance of our heart. Now, the idea I want us to grasp tonight is that in God's financial plan here, in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, it's a sacred priority that upon the first day of the week, we realize that is a time of preparation for giving to the Lord. Now, notice the second thing very quick, because I've got to get moving on. We see, first, we see, first of all, the sacred priorities. Notice in verse 2, the scriptural practice. Now, notice how God tells us how we're to practice our tithing and our offering. The scriptural practice. The first thing we see is that our, our giving must be systematic. He says, let every one of you, that means everyone, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him. Now, even before he said that, look at verse 1. This is very interesting. In verse 1, he says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I've given order to the churches of Galatia. Now watch this. What Paul is telling the church at Corinth was not unique to Corinth. And what he was telling to Corinth was not unique to any other church. He said he gave the same principle and the same priorities to the churches throughout all of Galatia. So that means, that tells us that as, as the New Testament was unraveling itself, it was unfolding, that the practice of giving needed to be, needed to be established so there was a, that, that everyone knew this is the best practice every church is to follow. So he says, what I told Galatians, in other words, he's saying this, you can check out what the church of Galatians, what I'm telling them, it's the same thing I'm telling you. He says, what I told them, so do ye. Now that applies to us. The same principle that Paul is giving here applies to 21st century churches. Now what does that mean there? Upon the first day of the week, as you approach Sunday, your first thought is, how did God prosper me? How did God prosper me? How did God bless me? It might be as basic as your paycheck. And looking at that gross, not the net. It may be going beyond there, realizing if you have a realized gain from, from an asset you sold, you have a realized gain that you received, is looking at that and say, okay, God has prospered me. What, that's what he talks about. They're setting that aside. It might be a gift that you were given by someone else as God has prospered you to set aside. It is to be systematic. He says, this order that he gave to Galatia, he gave to them. Now, we're to observe this command, this systematic command, individually, every one of us. We're to observe it orderly and methodically. Let him lay by him in store. That's what they did in the Old Testament. He said, set it beside his store. Now, if we're just kind of haphazard, and here's what haphazard means. When I remember. Or when I think of it. If that's your attitude, you, you have a very low attitude about God. There's no worship in that. Now that might sound kind of mean, but I'm, I'm just being truthful to you. God put, put it there for a reason. Because Deuteronomy 8.28 tells us, Deuteronomy 8.18 I think it is, it says we're to remember that it's God who prospered us and not ourselves. We're, there's no such thing as a self-made billionaire, self-made person. God blessed you with what you have. So it's to be systematic, it's to be orderly. And he says, let every one of them lay by his store as God has prospered him. Now let me give you a thought here. Paul is telling them this because later on he says, now I want you to do this, look at verse 2, so that there be no gatherings when I come. 
He says, listen, this matter of giving and collections, he says, I'm not there. I'm writing to you. But this is such a critical problem. Take care of it now. That's what he said. Now concerning the collection uh, for the saints. Now. He says, don't, I don't, he says, I don't want you to wait till I come back and then we're going to have a special offer. You know what? Let me tell you something tonight. No New Testament church, when I study these verses, no New Testament church should be at the place that the pastors to get up. If we have budget shortfalls week after week, month after month, no pastor should have to get up and, and cajole his church and beg the church. We've got to take up special offering to meet our budget. We should never be at that place. Now, if we are prudently budgeting and prudently doing what we're supposed to be doing, we should not be at the place where we're having to come up. Well, I need to tell you, we didn't meet it. I, I've talked, I've counseled pastors through this who have gone months on end where they haven't met budget and they're about to crash and the pastor's about to have a nervous breakdown. My first question is, did you tell the church? Well, no. I said, well, you got to tell the church. You got to let the church know and get, they got that's, that's their church. So you got to get them involved with that. And Paul is saying here, I don't want you to have gatherings when I come. You know why? Because the problem gets worse and worse and worse and the shortages become more and more and more. He says, you got to address the problem right then and there. Now, giving that sporadic collections that are sporadic and haphazard, they're the demise of a church. You'll put your church in the grave. Now, healthy churches and, whole, may I say, holy churches have a high priority about giving. Now, I, could, I can't mention names, but I can tell you this. I've watched over the years God helping our people, some who didn't even understand, who came and got saved here. And they already restricted budgets. And they learned a discipleship or through one-on-one about tithing. And honestly, they were scared. Because everything they were using in their budget was restricted already. But they did what was right. And they're happy people and they're serving God. I've watched people come here who transferred membership, who didn't, who never been taught about tithing. And never been taught about 1 Corinthians 16 verses 1 and 2, collections and gatherings. And boy, those people are right on target about it. I mean, they, they, once they learned it, they got it. I mean, they are on target about that. Now, giving as he talks about here. He's saying it must be systematic. Now, let me just say this tonight. I alluded to this earlier. Giving in God's church should always be a forethought and not an afterthought. It should always be a forethought, not an afterthought. I mean, sporadic giving, haphazard giving is because it's not a high priority. It's not a sacred priority. And that has to change. And by the way, that's a sin. You study Malachi chapter 3, it's a sin. The practice of giving is supposed to be a conviction, and not when it's convenient. Now, when we give glory to God, you know how God is glorified? We have singing. We read the scriptures. We have prayer. We have preaching. But you know, an integral part of every service are the offerings. COVID-19 has affected us, but it hasn't affected us. But it's a blessing when people are giving. It's a blessing to participate, to come prepared, ready to. Because you know what? That's, that's one of several minimal ways that you are giving to the Lord when you come to church. So it's to be systematic. Notice, secondly, it's to be symmetrical. Symmetrical. That means proportionally. As God has prospered him. Not everyone is going to be giving the same amount. 
but as God has prospered him. And by the way, your mindset should be, you should be a little bit entrepreneur in your mindset. Well, how can I give back to the Lord's work? Amen? How can I do things to, get, to do things for the Lord's work? I've got a good friend who's a, a developer, a big developer. Uh, his company built Salesforce.com building in San Francisco. And um, you know, I mean, the, the man is involved with so much giving in what he does for the Lord's work. But we were talking a few months ago, and you know, just we're talking about church planning a little bit there, and, and he's probably will this year help fund $700,000 for, for, for new church plants. It's just a blessing there. But when I get around this brother, first of all, he's in, he's in the Word of God every morning. He prays. Uh, he's walking with God. I mean, just the things he does. He has a good testimony. He's got a son who's a pastor. I mean, just the things that, that he's doing for God. And, uh, you know, I, I know his heart is that as God has prospered him, he's looking for opportunities how he can serve the Lord. And our attitude should be, Kind of like that brother, kind of entrepreneurial, if I can say that, where we're just saying, you know what, Lord, if, if, if I could be a blessing, would you use me in that capacity there? Notice 2 Corinthians 8.12 very quickly. For there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man has, and not according to that he has not. God is not worried about what you don't have. God's more concerned about what are you doing with what you do have. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 8. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Now, there, there's a give and take there. God just may saying he, the, the law of sowing and reaping. If you, if you do little for God, God's going to do little for you. It's what he's telling you there. Your tithing is sending in advance in preparation for the rainy day that you're going to have in your life, if you know what I mean. Every man, according to his purposes in his heart, and this is, the, this is what the practice Paul's talking about, is symmetrical giving. So let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth what kind of a giver? Cheerful, hilarious giver. He's joyful in his giving. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. I like what he says there. Because he says, God is able to make you abound, but he's helped you to abound. He's sufficient to help you abound in every good work because of your giving. Is to be systematic, is to be symmetrical, is to be sacrificial. The believers at Macedonia gave beyond their power. Philippians 4.16, the church at Philippi sent once and again. In Acts chapter 4, verses 33 to 37, we see there was great grace in the giving of the church. I mean, there's wonderful, wonderful passages. I mean, Jesus told the, the elders at Ephesus, at Melita, of Ephesus when they met at Miletus, He said, remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you tonight. We get near the close. Number one, at a bare minimum, God's people should be tithing. And if God's people have missed on tithing, you ought to be honest enough with God to catch up and make up with God. Because you know what? If you want God to work your life, you have, a, you know, it's like back taxes. I mean, you know, you, you've got back ties. You've got to get right with God. Amen. Now, I didn't hear a lot of amens about that. Participate in the offerings. What God's going to do through faith promise, what God's going to do is we pay down our debt, and, and God blessing with these buildings, these capabilities, what a blessing. Finally, go back to 1 Corinthians 15, 58, we're done. I want to go back to this verse. And Paul, by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, positioned verse 58 here to give us a stirring proposition. 
We're to abound in the work of the Lord. We're to abound winning souls. We're to abound in caring for people. We're to abound in ministry of the word. We're to abound in all these things. Uh, I asked uh, Kat Guterres to give me a count since September 5th on our Saturdays. We've been out uh, canvassing. And we think anywhere from 12,000, minimum 12,000, maybe as many as 20,000 tracts have been given out by our church since September 5th. At doors, and homes, and peoples, and parks. That's a blessing. And I want you to think with me for a minute, that's abounding in the Lord. But we're to always abound. Not just one time, but recurringly. And the thought I want to give you here is that as much as the work of the Lord is the preaching of the cross and using our gifts and abilities for the glory of God and for God calling men as preachers and laborers in the harvest, the tithing, the collections and offerings are just as much a work of the Lord. And we're to always abound in this capacity. We're to be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, always abounding in our giving, our tithing and participation. I close with these verses with you tonight is when we think about the collections and gatherings and as part of the function of worship and the honor of God. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, this is what Paul said. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Honor the Lord. That means worship Him. Glorify Him. Exalt Him. Lift Him up. Praise Him with your substance. Let God know that it's His and you don't feel possessed by it. It's His possession and you're not possessed by it. Amen? Honor the Lord with thy substance and the first fruits of all the increase. He says, So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. When you read Malachi Malachi chapter 3, God reminds us there that He gives us His protection. He gives us His protection. He keeps the the, the bad things He talks about there from happening to us. He gives us His protection through the tithing there. He says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast your fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. Now let me close with this. Glorify God with your gifts and offerings. Come with rejoicing. Glorify God with your tithe. Glorify God by participating in faith. If you've never started tithing, let me encourage you to start tithing. If all you're doing is just putting a routine, same amount of check, may may I challenge you tonight to be biblical and to tithe and to honor God through them. Watch what God is able to do in your life. And watch God over this period of time as He works in your life. Bring all the tithes, He says, into the storehouse. Glorify God by participating in the special offerings of the church. Glorify God by being a cheerful giver. Now concerning the collection for the saints. As he gave order to the church of Galatia, he said, even so do ye. Will you be a giver? Will you be in the offerings? Will you be in the collections? Will you give cheerfully? Will you always abound in the work of the Lord?